Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, which is James Johnson. He is the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over at USA Today. Uh, Before we get started here, Jay, I think we want to make sure that everybody out there is safe. And, uh, you know, if you've been somebody that's been out there uh, protesting, hopefully you're you're taking care of yourself, looking out for yourselves. And for Jay and I, who who can't go out there and and, and be with you, we, we just really appreciate you guys using your ability to peacefully protest and make sure that our, our voices are heard in this very, very trying time. So, Jay, really excited to be here with you and bring everybody an episode about football. But the lines between real life and football are going to be a little bit blurred for this episode. Yeah, man. Glad to be back. And as you said, man, it's uh, been a trying time, especially the last few weeks. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, as Americans, we have to press on and be strong. And uh, like you said as well, yeah, very, very appreciative, which we said in the last podcast of everybody stepping up and using their platform as we are as well to um, speaking on the social injustices and the racial issues that we got going on and the police brutality issues we got going on in America right now, because, um, you know, as many have said, that is the one thing that is uh, really holding the country back from flourishing as it should. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that we've been taught to preach that, you know, America is a place for uh, with that consists of liberty and justice for all. And uh, that's what we're fighting towards right now uh, for the black community and minorities in general. So that, that that part of it has been, I will say, the most gratifying part of it is everybody coming together for a common cause and, and you know, trying to make the conditions in America better uh, where they have struggled mightily over the last hundreds of years. So um, all of that said, man, can't wait to get another episode in the books, man. Everybody has been receiving the podcast well we appreciate that and uh hopefully we'll be adding another must see episode or must listen to episode to the books absolutely jay and i I know a lot of times people don't like it when when politics and sports blend together but however that's what's happening in the country right now and it would be irresponsible of jay and i to not use the platform that we've been given and kudos to the believe network for allowing all of its shows and encouraging all of its shows to use its platform to speak out on social injustice and you know i know i can speak for jay that we're just very very appreciative of that so we're going to get into a couple of news stories here before we get into our primary topic before we start just want to give a shout out to everybody that's gone over to apple podcast and left us a review that is one of the best ways you can support the show so thank you so much if you are enjoying it, head over to Apple Podcast, subscribe, and give us a rating. We really, really would appreciate it. Along with Apple Podcasts, you can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. You can find myself over at Twitter at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And Jay is at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. And you can find the podcast Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. So, Jay, let's get into it here with a couple of stories that we want to cover before getting into our primary topic, which is a follow up of the top five best draft picks in the Dave Caldwell era. We, of course, will be going uh, on the opposite end of that uh, for this episode. But Leonard Fournette last week, Jay had tweeted out that he was going to be hosting a gathering uh, here in Jacksonville for a, a peaceful protest. And we actually now have a time for when that is going to be coming out. Now, this episode is most likely going to drop on Tuesday. So by the time this episode is out, it will have already happened. 
He tweeted out, everyone in Duval County will be meeting outside of City Hall at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Spread the word. Let's be the change. Love you guys. So, Jay, I think it's really great to see Leonard Fournette continue to be active in the community. And we, we it's very well documented how active he is back home in Louisiana. And I think he's really done that here as well. Now, last week, a group of uh, 21 players were joined by coaches Doug Marone, general manager Dave Caldwell and others involved with the organization as they marched in solidarity from TIAA Bank Field to the nearby Sheriff's Precinct downtown. They showed support for the Black community by donning Black Lives Matter t-shirts and were joined by Jacksonville Sheriff Ernest Wilford, who of course is a former Jaguar for uh, seven seasons. He is definitely a huge fan favorite. Uh, When the Jags arrived at the Sheriff's Precinct, Wilford running backs coach Terry Rubisky and receiver Chris Conley all spoke and shared powerful messages about racism, systematic injustice, and police brutality. Uh, I know Josh Allen was another one of the players out there. Some of the uh, cheerleaders from the Roar were out there as well. So, Jay, I mean, you know, we, we criticize this team a lot and deservedly so for the most part, but I know that I can at least speak for myself when I when I see uh, these young men and, and these women out there and, you know, fighting and, and standing up for what's right. And again, just like we are, but they have a much larger platform to use. They're going out there and, and saying this is this is enough. And I think it's a really good a good look as well for Doug Marone to be out there because he's the leader of this team. He's the leader of all these men. So, you know, when all this happened and then, of course, we have the Leonard Fournette thing coming up tomorrow morning. Taking all that in together, you know, how do you feel about your football team? Oh, yeah, it was an absolutely great moment for them off the field. You know, like you said, like we criticized them on the field and rightfully so. But uh, this is an issue that that goes beyond that. This is, you know, an issue that affects their lives and livelihood and our lives and livelihood. And, you know, it was a, a historical moment for Jacksonville and a monumental, as I already said, moment for Jacksonville. And I think furthermore, you know, this is something that people of the uh, city are going to look back at and uh, just kind of circle it as one of those very important or vital events that went down for the team. Um, when you look at stuff that they have done off the field um, and they, they've they already or they've always have been one of those types of teams that does share that bond with the community. And this one just probably this, you know, this March probably just brought them even closer uh, with the community um, because, like I said, they've already uh, done their part with the community. And, they, you know, I, I'll say they share that close bond with the fans that we've seen over the many, many years uh, that Jacksonville Jaguars have been in existence. And I mean, that kind of goes to show you what Leonard Fournette is doing. You know, again, while we criticize him on the field, the hard part about it, and we say that when we're criticizing him on the field, is that he's a guy that does so much for the community, whether it's in Louisiana or elsewhere or in Jacksonville. You know, he's done work in Houston as well, you know, helping out J.J. Watt when Hurricane Harvey came through. He put money towards that cause too so he's a guy that's just very charitable and a guy that you know that is very close with the fans we saw that with the zoom chats he did during the draft as well and this is just another testament of that uh him doing this in jacksonville because if i can recall i think he's training in louisiana right now because he wasn't there with the jaguars during their march um, and it was, a, it was a bunch of players that couldn't make it, of course, you know, with the circumstances right now and everybody having to kind of train close to home or wherever they've established themselves at home. So, you know, I think it's neat from that perspective, too, that he's going to come to Jacksonville and share that moment with the fans and the citizens of Jacksonville 
uh, just as, as the Jags just did um, on Friday as well, which, again, like that was a very monumental event in itself. So I think it'll be a very good turnout. I think that, you know, it's, it's great that he's using his platform and they are using their platform to bring light to police brutality and social injustice and all of these issues that we have going on in America. And, you know, I think in the end, you know, we might not make the progress that we may want, I guess you could say, towards this, or we could. But I think what these players are doing will help basically make a significant step towards getting America where it needs to be on these issues. And, you know, what have we echoed already multiple times just in this episode alone is is using your platform and using it responsibly and for you know the team in, in a city that admittedly, Jay, has had a problem in the past. There has been a young man here just in Jacksonville, you know, just right down the road from where we are, really close to where your family lives, Jay, that was that was unlawfully gunned down in a, in, you know, in a tragic event. You know, this this stuff is happening all over the place. So Jacksonville is not immune to these issues. So for for these players and coaches and, and staff to go out and, and show unity in, in a time like this is very, very important. And and honestly, if, if there's anybody that's that disagrees with what they did, then, you know, those players, those coaches, they probably don't want those those people to be fans right now. Honestly, it, it could because the, the conversation that we're having right now, there's no rebuttal that you can have that we're, we're uh, against what we're trying to tell people is that black lives matter and that black lives need to be protected because right now they are not being valued at the rate that they should be. So I really loved that, you know, those guys were out there doing that for the city. And I also think it was very important for Ernest Wilford to be out there, who, of course, is not only a former player, but does work here with JSO and also is a is an African-American man who, you know, is, is I'm sure, very aware of what's going on out there being in, you know, part of the system itself that desperately, desperately needs change. Yeah, man. And, and like you said, you mentioned the uh, incident in Brunswick or we'll call it what it is, the murder in Brunswick of Ahmad Aubrey, who was just going out for a jog. And I mean, we, we don't we weren't there personally, but just from what's coming out right now in terms of what's going on in the court system, we're seeing that that was hatred based, you know, and it was so sad and, and rest up and rest in peace to him in my heart. And my condolences go out to that young man's family uh, because, you know, that that's just stuff that has no place on this earth. And like you said, man, it is great that these players are using their platforms to bring this stuff to the light. Albeit, you know, it may make some people uncomfortable, like getting past that un- that that comfort level and getting people over the hump when it comes to comfort on this is exactly what we need uh, to get trending in the right direction. And um, again, like I said, these just are many events that are going on in the NFL and just you see athletes in general just stepping up to the cause that uh, while you know, we we have concerns that may not get us exactly where we need to be. It is a monumental step to get where we need to be uh, down the road or whenever we get fully where America needs to be. So just again, just watching all the unity and everybody come together, people of all colors. That has been the thing that has really up, uplifted me the most through this, despite watching that tragic video of Ahmad and, and watching the tragic video of uh, George Floyd, you know, what came of it. And then unfortunately, two deaths came out as a result of it. But the end result of everybody in America coming together and, uh, you know, helping the black community is, is just a groundbreaking thing in itself. And uh, it really warms the heart when you see that on TV. 
Yeah, very well said there, Jay. I want to transition into a statement that was released by Shad Khan last week. Now, I think a lot of us were waiting to hear something from him, him being one of only two minority owners in the NFL. He was the first minority owner Um, in an essay. He elaborated on dealing with racism as a Pakistani American who came to the country in 1967. Uh, He said here, I came to the United States from Pakistan in 1967 with $500 in my pocket and faith in the American dream. Opportunities to learn and succeed were abundant. And more than 50 years later, I am forever grateful and proud to be a citizen of the United States. Nonetheless, while I pursued my goals as a student and later in the workforce, being a Muslim American made me a frequent target of prejudice, discrimination, and hatred. I won't claim to know what it means to be a young African-American today, but I can speak honestly and painfully to my own experiences as a person of color for the past 53 years in this country. He would go on to say, even recently, I've had people spew racist language in my presence when talking about other people of color, apparently ignorant of my ethnicity. Change for all people of color in the United States is long overdue, and it must happen now. So, Jay, I think it was definitely very important for Shad Khan to come out especially in light of you know the NFL now coming out, specifically Roger Goodell talking about the anthem protests. Uh, this statement from Shad Khan came out before the Roger Goodell statement. And of course, the NFL and Roger Goodell, I think, are, are, are properly being criticized for you know backtracking everything they've said over the last few years. That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother time. But I do like that Shad Khan came out and spoke on this. Before we move on to some, some news as far as possibly getting football back, uh, what do you think about, you know, these statements from Shad Khan? And again, do you think it was uh, how important do you think it was that he came out and, and spoke on this? Yeah, it was absolutely important. As you said, for him as one of two minorities with uh, Miss Kim Pagula, co-owner of the Bills with Terry Pagula, her, her um, husband. But yeah, it was absolutely important with them being the first, as you said, minority. And, you know, people were looking at them because this is a unique opportunity for the Jacksonville Jaguars to step to the plate being that Shad Khan is their owner and uh, change some of the ways of the NFL. And we're starting to see that, you know, like you said, now with the NFL backtracking on their statements and what have you. And, and in terms of his story, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you hear his story. It's still amazing to hear that, you know, he flew over here with just five hundred dollars in his pocket and manufactures a vast majority of the world's bumpers and you know, he he became a billionaire as a result of that and got into other business ventures. And that led to him being able to purchase the Jacksonville Jaguars. Love the story. Can't hear it enough. But my thing is, and I, I've seen this, too, often from other Jags fans. It's, you know, the essay was great and all. And I don't want to discount that. I don't want to knock that. But, you know, now for Shad Khan, it's a matter of showing us with your actions, you know, showing your support for minorities in the black community with your actions. And we, we're not going to even get into politics, but in terms of some of the things going on in the city, you know, like what can he do in terms of his actions to help the African-American community? You know, maybe perhaps and this is something that many people have spoke on. Stop taking so many tax dollars and putting them in some of the wrong places and put them towards better causes. You know, with a prime example is and this is something we've spoke on with the lot J thing is, you know, the, the taxpayers are going to have to pay, what, upwards of $200 million towards the Lot J project? You know, like some people would feel that Shad Khan needs to foot a little bit more of that bill. And not only that, you know, help the the not only the black community, but use that as an opportunity to help minorities um, and help people in general find better jobs and whatnot instead of taking as much as he has. Um, At least this is how the fans see it, taking as much 
as he has from the community. So going forward, man, like we'll be watching Shad Khan closely and how he does by the, the community of Jacksonville. And, uh, you know, we'll be looking to see, you know, how much money he starts to put more into the city, which will help minorities and African-Americans and people in general, not just, you know, just a, a specific group, but it'll help people in general. But what I'm saying is Jacksonville does have a huge African-American base that he could be helping more uh, by investing more of his money into the city. So we'll see how that goes heading forward. But still, you know, again, don't want to discount his message and his essay. It was great. Enjoyed it. But now we'll be watching him under a microscope in terms of what he does heading forward. And I think what you're trying to say is, Jay, you know, he got off to a good start as far as what needed to be done. So now what comes next? And that's going to be very, very important, just like you said. So uh, again, just like you, not going to discount anything that he said because it was it was great. And he has his his own amazing story, as you have already mentioned. But now what are you going to do for the city of Jacksonville? How are you going to show your players and your fan base that you're you really do feel the way that you seem to feel, at least that at least from the sentiments that were echoed in this statement. So I'm 100% with you there, Jay. So let's move on to a last little bit of news here before getting into our primary topic of the week. So we're trying to move closer and closer to allowing teams to return to facilities. Last week's significant event allowed coaches to return so long as their local governments allowed that. Uh, That meant the only team that was not allowed to return quite yet is the San Francisco 49ers. However, the next step will be allowing players back into the locker rooms. And with that, the NFL has released safety protocols that teams are going to start implementing for whenever that does happen. So the NFL has continued to inch closer to fully reopening their facilities. The league released the guidelines for safety protocols for each facility to implement through their personnel as the world continues to battle the coronavirus. Among some of the noteworthy protocols were locker room reconfigurations, virtual meetings whenever possible, disinfecting protective pads and helmets after each game, and the requirement of masks outside of doing athletic activities, as pointed out by NFL insider Tom Pelissero. So Jay, just skimming through here, it looks like they're going to be... uh, So the memo consisted of nine pages in total, which explains access different personnel members have to different parts of each respective facility, like the locker room, team cafeteria, practice fields, playing fields, weight rooms, things of that nature. We also learned last week that because of everything that's going on, the Jaguars joint practice with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers has been canceled, which I think is is expected, but definitely disappointing. I really would have loved to see this young team, you know, working out with guys like Tom Brady on the other side, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you know, a team that definitely has Super Bowl aspirations really can only help when you you go out there and, you know, you get to match up one-on-one with some of those guys. So talk a little bit about some of these protocols that were released today, as well as maybe the effect of, and the disappointment that, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to get to see that joint practice that I think a lot of people were pretty excited about. Yeah, this would have marked, I think, under Doug Marone, like their second joint practice against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I mean, it makes sense logistically. You know, they're just when you look at the other teams that's close to here, they're just a hop and a skip away, which the Jaguars kind of like to stick to sometimes when it comes to joint practice. Um, You know, they traveled to Flowery Branch as well a few times, which is that's Atlanta for those of you wondering. And they've also I think the Falcons may have come to Jacksonville within the last decade or so don't quote me on that but you know they like to stick close to Jacksonville is um what I'm saying and you know coincidentally for the Jaguars now like you said 
they um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a very, very good team over there that would have gave the Jacksonville Jaguars some good looks, um, especially for a team that has what, 12 rookies. They used all 12 of their draft picks and 18 undrafted players. I mean, that's a huge indication that this team is going to be the youngest team in football, probably, or or along the lines of a top three youngest team in football. Um, I know they were second, if I can recall, in age average in terms of youth before the draft. So, I mean, you had 18 rookies into that, undrafted rookies into that mix and 12 drafted rookies. You almost certainly would think that they're probably going to end up being the youngest team in football when final cuts are made and you have a final 53-man roster. So that's a missed opportunity for them. Because, you know, like I said, man, like, you know, some people believe Doug Marone may be on the hot seat. And um, for those rookies to miss that, and not only that, they miss their mini camps. Uh, you know, they used to have what I think they used to have a rookie process as well, where they had rookie camps as well. Uh, they miss organized team activities, albeit they've been doing stuff virtually. That certainly puts you behind the curve with such a young roster if you're Doug Marone. And uh, you, you certainly have to worry about his job security from that perspective. Although the Jaguars do have a relatively easy schedule to start things off. So, you know, maybe it'll balance out in the end um, as these players, especially these rookies, are kind of going to have to get a crash course in training camp because reportedly that's when it looks like people are going to return to their facilities. It's during training camp. And for those of you who can't recall on timeline when that is, that's late July, pretty much for every team. So that's going to be a lot of missed time on the field. Um, that being said, in terms of uh, these protocols that you mentioned, uh, that they just mark one more step towards, you know, players eventually coming into their facilities. Last week, it was the coaches being able to come. I don't know um, if the Jaguars have reported you there yet in terms of their coaching staff. I think they may, don't quote me on this, they may still be doing stuff virtually. A lot of teams are still sticking to the virtual format and not bringing people into the facility yet. This, uh, Yeah, this is definitely going to provide unique times for the team when they come back. I saw a, uh, a video, it's like a, a little clip that I saw the how the Minnesota Vikings are doing things, you know, with uh, their new coach, Kevin Stefanski. He checks into the facility. He comes to the front. He's wearing a mask. He checks in at the front desk. They take his temperature with like a, a head radar or whatever the case may be. Uh, you saw like hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, I've also heard that the NFL are gonna, is going to be looking in certain departments of each facility, looking to put more automated doors or automatic doors to where you don't have to touch doors. So you're going to see a lot of more technology involved in this process. And, and again, just to get into the specifics of this actual protocol that Phil just spoke on, you know, they got this thing where they divided people up into tiers, which is a little bit weird. You know, you have a tier of player personnel and people that will be working closely with the field and pl- closely with the players. You got a tier of people that work in the front office uh, that have to exercise and implement rules and stay away, kind of, if you will, from the players and what have you. And then you got a third tier of people of people that's involved with cleaning up the facility and running events for the facility, TIAA Bank Field in this case, where, you know, there's certain limitations on to what as to what they can do and who they have to stay away from. They have to stay away from certain tiers of people as well. So this thing is going to be very, very interesting. It's going to be a unique season. Um, And, you know, if they had a camera at TIAA Bank Field, like this would be crazy to watch. I, I think like 
the episode, um, uh, the documentary Hard Knocks is going to really, really show us how unique of a process this is going to be. Uh, whoever's going to be on Hard Knocks, I don't know off the top of my head. But yeah, this is going to be a crazy year in terms of how operations are run daily at a facility as the coronavirus has made us had to uh, basically adapt. Honestly, I, I think what we should probably prepare people for is if, as long as, if, you know, assuming the season goes on as expected and starts when it's supposed to start, probably some sloppy football in the beginning. You know, we'll, we'll see how everything plays out when they can finally get to the facility and practice. But, you know, they're, they're, it seems like there's still going to be some pretty strict limitations because what happens if one of your quarterbacks in the quarterback room, you know, gets sick and then all of a sudden all, every quarterback you have on the roster is sick? There's, there's going to be a lot of things that we probably haven't even thought of yet that are going to come up that they're going to have to adapt to on the fly. And I'm really interested to see how that goes. So yeah, very, very interesting to say the least. And I am excited to see, uh, I'm not 100% sure who is on hard knocks. Um, Actually, I think it's the, I think it's the Rams, Jay. So uh, we'll get to see, get to see good old Jalen again and uh, see how the Rams handle things as far as adjusting to this new norm that we're trying to navigate uh, going forward. So we're going to move on into our main topic of the day here in just a moment, which of course is a follow-up to our top five best draft picks in the Dave Caldwell era. Of course, we're going to tackle the reverse of that in the top five worst draft picks of the Dave Caldwell era. And it's going to be really interesting. Jay and I had a long discussion about this when we were prepping for this episode. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. That being said, before we get started, I do want to give a special shout out to this week's sponsor. So I know right now, if you're like me, you're going crazy without any sports to watch. You know, what are you going to do? You're sitting at home waiting this out, but you can actually still have a lot of fun betting online with our partner, betonline.ag. Now, even though the NBA, NHL, and MLB are currently on hiatus, you may think that there's nothing to bet on, but that's simply not true. BetOnline has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. NASCAR is now back and up and running. There are weekly Madden and NBA 2K simulations. The UFC is running fights on a weekly basis as well. And make sure to check out The Final Dance, which has roundtable interviews from ex-Chicago Bulls players Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper as they discuss the Michael Jordan documentary in full. So there's still a ton of fun to be had, so go to betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. That's one zero zero. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, Jay, so let's move on to our main topic, and we are going to be looking at the top five worst draft picks in the Dave Caldwell era. I'm very interested to see what the feedback is going to be for this. Not too much pushback, I think, from the top five best draft picks. So we'll see what happens when we put out this list. (laughs) However, Jay, so we're going to start with some honorable mentions here. um, Some guys that didn't quite make the cut. We had a lot of discussion, Jay, about putting Leonard Fournette on this list. And I think that probably would have received quite a bit of pushback because what you had said before we even started is it's not necessarily Leonard Fournette's fault as far as where he was drafted. And 
my reasoning for wanting to put on the list is because this is a list about Dave Caldwell, and that necessary and that's necessarily a pick that has it one hundred percent panned out. Now he's had a couple of decent seasons, but I, I we have repeatedly talked about how last year's season, even though statistically it looked pretty good, you didn't really see that kind of a major impact as far as you know him on the field, and it didn't really result. I don't think in necessarily in any wins per se. So as far as that, though, Jay, what, what was your reasoning for keeping Leonard Fournette off of the list before we get into the top five? Yeah, my key reasoning was, you know, with the 2020 season coming up, he could very well. And, you know, me and you've talked about this in the past. We haven't ruled out that he could have a good season. My thing has always been that he just needs a breath of fresh air and he needs a change of scenery. So even if he has a good season, I don't know that the Jaguars would be looking to keep him around. And look, they're going to have roughly $100 million in cap space available next year. But maybe, you know, whoever is around will look at it as, hey, you could get a running back outside of the first round, probably outside of the second round, a guy that can give you a lot of production. The money that we would invest into this guy, albeit we have a lot of money available, and we're thinking, we're this is hypothetically speaking, in the future, they will have a lot of money. Uh, while we will have a lot of money, uh, maybe we should just, you know, use it wisely still nonetheless um, and just get a cheap running back out of the draft or whatever the case may be. So I think, you know, for those reasons, I, I think Leonard Fournette, uh, he, he just missed the cut again. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he had, and this is not my prediction on the year yet, but I could see him having another 1,000-yard season, albeit, you know, they are behind the curve. I, I mentioned that in the past, too. You know, they haven't gotten the time on the field together as – they have in years past, but uh, I could still see him getting a 1,000 yard receive, uh, a 1,000 yard rushing season, and I could see him getting approximately five to six, seven touchdowns as well. Which you know, when you put that into the equation with his other seasons that he's had, you can't necessarily say he he was a bust, but he just didn't live up to the potential of a number four overall pick, especially when you compare him to like Christian McCaffrey, who went like a few picks afterwards. Yeah, I know we've talked in detail about the other running backs who went in that draft after him, so we won't rehash that conversation. However, we will get started, and we'll go in descending order. Of course, we'll start with number five, and this may surprise some people given how critical we've been of this particular player over the years. I definitely think as far as the Jaguar podcast go, we've probably been harsher on him than some others. Me particularly, I can own up to that. But at number five, Jay, we went with Blake the Boat Bortles. Now, of course, he was the number three overall pick in the 2014 draft. And there were times where he did flash. Uh, you, You, of course, bring up 2017. He had that stretch where he just looked like he was going to be the franchise guy. And I was fully ready to eat my words as far as my criticisms of him. And I had been as vocal as anybody on Jaguar Twitter about how I just did not believe in this guy. And he was starting to prove us wrong back there in 2017. Of course, after that, it just did not go well. Um, he, uh, he going 24 and 49 here with the Jaguars ultimately ended with seven over 17,000 passing yards, 103 touchdowns to 75 interceptions. Of course, the, you think about the pick sixes, you think about the turnovers, the fumbles, and just all of the bad habits, Jay, that he never seemed to get over. So talk about why we put BB5 at number five on our list of top five worst draft picks in the Dave Caldwell era. Uh, Yeah, man, 
Blake, again, like you, I was a harsh critic, probably not as harsh as you, but a harsh critic of Blake Bortles. Uh, He is a guy that I'll say this. He never really had consistency with a coaching staff. You know, he went through what and I guess you could say kind of like Leonard Fournette. This isn't his fault that he went through Jed Fish, Greg Olson and Nate Hackett. Yeah. So that's three coordinators right there off the top of my head. And yeah, he didn't, he went on the team last year. So there is also the fact that they, and Dave Caldwell has said it's, they threw him in the fire a little too soon, but nonetheless, like you said, when you look at his overall record, 24 and 49 and zero um, and and where he was taking what third overall pick. uh, And and look, you know, that's supposed to be your most important pick. uh, If you're Dave Caldwell is your franchise quarterback. And not only that, I think they spent a little too much time on him after it was clear that he wasn't going to be the guy. So Dave Caldwell, while we have complained that he's had, what, seven years, uh, he spent a lot of that seven years trying to prove or, or you know, the staff trying trying to prove that Blake Bortles was the guy. So he wasn't uh, come to find out, you know, Blake Bortles probably shouldn't have even been drafted in the first round because ultimately all Caldwell got was what I mean, you talked about. This was one winning season out of seven from Blake Bortles. Uh, well, I guess Blake Bortles wasn't there for all of his tenure, but still, nonetheless, when Blake Bortles was on his team and Dave Caldwell was the GM, they only got one good season out of it. And this is for a number, what, three overall pick. Um, and, and that's just, you can't have that, man. You just can't have that. So from that perspective, uh, we put Blake Bortles number five on this list. And yeah, I'm shocked like you that we didn't put him higher on this list. But Due to those circumstances that I named, basically, that's basically why we didn't put him any higher on the list. Um, kind of like I said, like with Leonard Fournette, it's just some things that he couldn't control. And, uh, you know, that put Leonard Fournette as a uh, honorable mention, and that kind of put Blake Bortles low on this list as well. And I think another one of the reasons why you could probably put Blake Bortles higher is he set the team back many, many years, you know, they, they wasted all this time on him when he ultimately was not the guy. And there was evidence that they thought that they thought the same thing. And there were other people available that they passed on. You look at guys, of course, like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you know, the list goes on and on. Now, granted that season, the quarterbacks that were being discussed as far as this draft, Jay, were guys like Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr was in this draft who I believe you and I were very high on and we were bummed that Derek Carr didn't end up being the guy. Now, he did have that one year where he looked like an MVP pick, but now he's a little bit in limbo as far as with the Las Vegas Raiders now. But not really any of those quarterbacks that were highly touted in 2014, at least that I can see at first glance, really panned out. So as far as the other guys, you know, it's not like anybody really, really outdid him. Johnny Manziel is, of course, out of the league altogether. Teddy Bridgewater is trying to find his new footing in Carolina. We'll see what happens there. I think Bridgewater was definitely a guy that we also targeted. Blake Bortles was just not the pick that we were expecting going into this. I mean, Khalil Mack was taken after him. Mike Evans was taken after him. Taylor Lewan, Odell Beckham, Aaron Donald, like... It's always the worst game to play as a Jaguar fan to go back and look who was taken after some of these picks. I remember I banged the table for uh, Odell Beckham, too. That, and that's well documented on Inside Edge Sports. If anybody want to go look back at that. Yep. You were definitely on the Odell Beckham train as far as bringing him here. And ultimately, of course, it did not happen. I myself 
wanted Sammy Watkins, who want the very next pick. And uh, admittedly, that probably wouldn't have been the best selection either. Either that or Khalil Mack, which, you know, who knows what would have happened if that's the route we had went. But we'll move on to number four. And this is a guy that we we had a lot of discussion about. And this one really pains me, Jay, because I have met this player on a couple of occasions. And he's just so nice, really, really great guy. However, his play on the field just never really panned out. And that is Jonathan Cyprian. He is a safety that we took in 2013, and 2013 is going to have some heavy representation on this list, guys, just to give you a heads up. But Jonathan Cyprian just never panned out, Jay. And again, another guy, I think, who seemed to look the part and, you know, coming in from, uh, I believe he went to Florida Atlantic, um, one of those picks, again, in, in that 2013 draft where a little bit of a head scratcher, uh, but we were given, I mean, it was Dave Caldwell's first year. I think we gave him the benefit of the doubt, but Jonathan Cyprian just never found his footing here in Jacksonville. He did go on to Tennessee and played okay from from what I understand, but just did not pan out as far as a second round pick very early on. Yeah, man. You know, Sip was a guy that I was excited about when we made the pick, but at the same time, and I think one guy I was high on that year, now I think about it, I don't know if he was available. I believe he was available. You probably could look this up. But Darius Slay, I thought, would have been a better pick. I was hoping for Slay. Uh, but we got Sip, and I was still excited about it. And the one issue that I remember, albeit, you know, I wasn't as crisp into film study as I am now. But one thing I do remember was being concerned about was the angles, and he never cleaned that up. That was always an issue uh, for him in, in terms of, um, you know, his time with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I can't speak about his time with the Titans. I ain't really watch him all that much, but the angles, man, he never cleaned it up. He was a guy that was a, a pretty decent athlete. I was excited about that part of his game, but uh, you know, it was just so many missed tackles and so many bad angles uh, to the point where it was like, we were over him really, really soon into his career. I mean, I know you got to kind of give a guy the benefit of the doubt and let them bloom and, and develop and this that and the other but you could tell early and, and like you said he's such a nice guy it's hard to say this but and I don't know him personally but I've just heard of people who have had encounters with him like yourself but he just never panned out from that perspective and uh yeah man it, it kind of hurt me to put him on this list but look from Dave Caldwell's perspective that was your what second pick in terms of being a GM or, or being the guy in the front office um and, and it miss miserably uh much like uh some other picks that we'll <laughs> speak on from that class but yeah man for you know him to be taken so high and uh not being a part of dave caldwell's long-term plan or, or not being a part of dave caldwell's tenure for as long as he should have been put him on here number four and uh yeah another guy that we got um from another florida university by the way which he shares that uh, connection with Blake Bortles that just didn't pan out for us. And to follow up what you were asking, Jay, yes, Darius Slay went three picks later to the Detroit Lions, number 36, as well as in the third round went Tyrion Matthew. Uh, that's another guy that I really, really wanted here as well. And he went a whole round later. So again, the theme of this is going to be missed opportunity, I think, because, <laughs> you know, it is very painful to go back and look at some of these players that were available after some of these selections. So James Johnson for GM, by the way. <laughs> hey, just make me assistant GM and, and, and I'm down. So <laughs> we'll move on, though, to our number three selection. And this is another one where it's it's painful to put on here. However, if you just look at this draft as a whole, 
And based off of the selection they made later on in this same exact round, it's pretty clear that they obviously didn't trust uh, the health of this player. And that's Marquise Lee, the the white tiger, I believe, is what they referred to him as. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jay. Was the, it the white albino tiger? What was it? Albino. The white albino tiger, isn't it? Yeah, the albino tiger, I think is what it was. And that was because we just never saw him. And it is a little misleading um, that he didn't play too many because he did miss 21 of uh, a possible 80 games. So he did play in 59 games. And in the 2016 season, he actually put up a pretty good year. 63 catches, 851 yards, three touchdowns. 2017, he had 56 catches, 702 yards. I remember Marquise Lee, and it's it's well documented that he made an impact when he was on the field. He just could not stay healthy, Jay. And another guy that I met personally, and, and most of these guys I met at uh, through Celebration Church here, but uh, Marquise Lee, another guy I met, and again, very, very nice. Uh, unfortunately, no longer with the team, just could never get right. And that pick that I'm, I was alluding to Jay is Allen Robinson. They took him 20, looks like 22 picks later, also in the second round. And that just goes to show that they were obviously not very confident in Marquise's Lee, Marquise Lee's ability to stay healthy. So why was he the selection there anyway, if they were going to take Allen Robinson again later on in the second round? So Marquise Lee, I think is a story really of just missed potential as far as him, because it wasn't necessarily that he couldn't play. It's just that he couldn't stay healthy, and, and that's really unfortunate. Yeah, another guy that I've heard nothing but good things about. And, like, I was actually hurt by him getting uh, released, actually. You know, he was one of the guys that I would hope that I was hoping would stick somehow. But I knew, you know, with the cap situation, what was coming up. And, uh, you know, it's just so unfortunate and pan out. And he, he could have been really great, you know. And, you know, injuries aren't a player's fault. Let's Let's get that. Uh, let's address that right now. Injuries aren't a player's fault. So, you know, he just was dealt the unfortunate hand in terms of the NFL and um, could never just, you know, stay healthy and and never, um, I guess you could say, uh, make the impact. Although, you like you said, when he was on the field, he did make an impact. And I do recall one season where he did play in all of the games or he may have played in most of the games. But, you know, when he was on the field, he was a decent contributor. And um, that being said, just in pan out, he's with the Patriots now. Uh, who knows? Maybe over there with Stidham, you know, he sees a career resurgence and, uh, you know, gets going in the right direction that, you know, we we had hope and, you know, live up to the potential that we were hoping he would live up to. Uh, but I, another thing that I want to mention with the Marquise Lee pick, too, it's what really saved the Jags here was the fact that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they got Alan Hearns and I drafted free agency that year. And that kind of made the pick uh, look not as bad as it was. Um, at the same time, when you have an undrafted guy, and this is not knocking Hearns, but when you have an undrafted guy that gives you a better contribution than the drafted guy, especially a guy that you drafted in the second round, it, it's no big deal if an undrafted guy outperforms a fifth or a sixth or seventh round pick. But a second round pick, a, a pick that you invested so highly into, uh, you know, I think that also kind of shows that you know, maybe they should have went elsewhere with that pick with Lee, um, like I said, because, you know, Hearns and, you know, he had some injuries himself later down the road. But, you know, Hearns was the guy that they paired with A-Rob. You know, they were trying to call them the next Thunder and Lightning. Um, and they did some serious work together, man. Like they, they were awesome together when they were in their prime. And well, I guess I won't say in their prime because they're still young. But uh, when they were together on the field and when they were, you know, these young guys at what, 22, 23 years of age. So, yep. 
that pretty much sums up why we got Marquise Lee on there. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out with him. And and as well as all of these guys, he's a guy that I wish the best going forward. Do you think he lands on a team, Jay? Just to kind of go off topic really quick. Do you think someone picks him up or has he been? I don't believe he's been picked up, correct? Yeah, that's what I was saying. He was picked up by the Patriots with the New England Patriots. And, uh, oh, he's that's gonna... right. Of course he was. Because of course yeah. he was. <laughs> right. Right, of course, because, you know, the Patriots always take somebody that didn't work out with us and turn them into a star. I mean, not just us, but just teams. And they do that to teams in general. And like I said, man, like I could see him having a career resurgence there. But again, the health is the key. He has to stay healthy. But look, man, I'm one of those guys that and maybe I should say this for the back shoulder fade. I'm not 100 percent sure that the Patriots are going to suck this year. I'm, I'm, I'm still debating on it, but I, I was high on Jared Stidham. And we've seen Bill Belichick do this in the past uh, when Tom Brady wasn't behind center, but I think he can maybe get him 10 wins, maybe check with me in a few months before the season on it. And I think Marquise Lee could really help that y'all man out a lot because he is a veteran savvy player. I want to see Marquise Lee succeed, but not in New England. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure. Going back to the who else was available uh, list here, Jay. Of course, we already talked about Allen Robinson was taken later at pick 61. A guy that we were incredibly high on in this draft was Devontae Adams. He was taken about 20 picks later by the Packers, of course. Cody Latimer, um, he's, you know, he was, he's been pretty uh, up and down for the Broncos. Uh, however, uh, J- Jarvis Landry also went late in the second round. So definitely some names that were available as opposed to Marquise Lee that, again, could have completely changed the fortunes of this football team. So we will move on to number two and Jay, the offensive weapon himself, (laughs) the former quarterback of the Michigan Wolverines, admittedly a guy I was very, very excited to see. And that's Denard Robinson. And this is the fourth player in the row, Jay, that I've met in real life. I actually met him while I was working at GameStop. He came in and uh, I recognized him immediately. Again, very, very nice guy. That's a pretty much a theme with all of these. Even even Blake Bortles, very nice. Even after I you know, roasted him on Twitter, still a very nice guy. But Denard Robinson just seemed to be kind of the, I guess, where the NFL was, was heading from where it is now. You know what I mean? So he was this multifaceted guy, this great athlete that we were going to use at quarterback, at running back, at wide receiver. And between him just for whatever reason, just never picking up. He couldn't read holes whatsoever. He couldn't find any kind of hole as far as a running back. He couldn't hold on to the football. He couldn't catch the football. Uh, he ultimately ended up going in the fifth round. And he was a guy that was, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, intrigue around him going into the draft because of how he played in, in college. And he definitely shined in, in, in specific moments. But I do remember, I think I was, I believe I went to the Gator Bowl the year before he was drafted and watched Michigan play. I can't remember who they were playing, but I know Denard Robinson was the quarterback. And I remember thinking, boy, this guy is not going to be able to be successful in the league. However, Jacksonville took a a shot at him. And we may get some pushback here because he was a fifth round pick. However, just the fact that they tried to utilize him for so long and it just never worked out. They they just really kept this project going on for longer than it should have, I think, in, in our opinion. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like we tried to stray away. If you look at the trend of this list, we tried to stray away from the lower round pick guys because, you know, you don't look at a four for, I guess I'll say like a fifth on down round pick and say, oh, that's got that guy's supposed to be the guy. You know, if they pan out, they pan out. If they don't, they don't. You know, you don't really have a high expectations for them. But I think like for us, why 
Denara is on the list too. It's like, you know, he was kind of a positionless guy. You know, we heard that thrown around this year uh, when people try to make the comparison to LaVisca Chenault. Make no mistake about it. LaVisca Chenault is a receiver. Okay. But he can play other positions with, with Robinson is a little different. He was kind of positionless, although they tried him at running back. Then they, you know, they tried other things with him, but the other thing is like they it feels like they, they never had like a concrete plan with him. Um, That's just, you know, speculation, though. Like we don't know what goes on behind the closed doors, but it just felt like to me they never really had a concrete plan with them. They just kind of drafted him. And that's what you do in the late rounds. You know, you kind of can't blame Dave Caldwell for that. When you get to a certain point in the draft, you're just taking the best guy that's available. And he probably was from an athletic, uh, a athletic perspective. But, you know, when he got into the league, you know, it just the league proved to be too fast for him or he could never really find his groove, though. But that being said, man, like you said, another guy that I've heard nothing but nice things about. And this list makes me feel uh, kind of horrible when you look at all of these guys that we're naming as they were very good people. Uh, but somebody had to make the list, you know, of, of Dave Caldwell's top bus. And, you know, Denard Robinson is certainly one uh, that belongs somewhere at the top. Of not just our list, but I think, you know, I can't speak for other people, but I think like other people would put him atop their top five lists as well. Yeah. And like you said, just positionless, never really found his footing or where he was, you know, best fit in as far as the league goes to kind of give you everything you need to know. After he was released by the Jaguars, Jay, he did not end up on another team. So (laughs) pretty much tells the story of Denard Robinson. Uh, I remember actually hearing a story from a GameStop when he would, I guess he lived in the uh, the area of this specific store. So he would come in a lot. And this particular employee actually didn't really know who he was. And he asked, <laughs> he asked this employee, you don't know who I am? And he actually grabbed the cover. Remember, Denard Robinson is the cover athlete for the very last NCAA football game. And he grabbed that cover and and showed it he said hey this is me so again i think that's really cool because a lot of us grow up dreaming like man i would love to be on the cover of madden or ncaa football and he got to do that because he was a great college football player and a very exciting player and i just really love telling that story because it's it just kind of shows like the little kid in him you know what i mean that got to realize his dream and you know whatever he's doing now hopefully he's, he's successful and, and all that but yeah just just never really worked out unfortunately but jay i don't know if i've ever told you that story or not <laughs> Yeah, man, you never told me that story, but you told me that he did come in. Um, and I do remember. Did you try and like actually snag the um the little poster cutout that they had too from GameStop? I don't, I think I remember like seeing you trying to get that or like seeing it at your house. I can't remember. Um, or you telling me you wanted it or something along those lines. Yeah, no, I definitely tried to bring it home, and I was not allowed to. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately. That never happened. But yeah, apparently he was, as I mentioned, he was a a frequent shopper at that specific GameStop. Yeah, no, I didn't get to take it home. Unfortunately, I was told I wasn't allowed to. So again, shouts out to GameStop for being one of the worst jobs I've ever had. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) What a way to treat your former employees, man, or employers, should I say? Well, I think all in all, my experience at GameStop is worth about $5.75 in store credit. (laughs) Well, at least you got me that arcade stick that you held on to me until I came back and uh, paid it off or whatever. I appreciate that. (laughs) All right, Jay. So that moves us into our number one pick for the worst draft selection of the Dave Caldwell era. And I think this is probably a universal thing. A lot of people will have will be quite okay with him being at number one. 
and that is Luke Jokel. He was taken number two overall in 2013. Again, 2013 has heavy representation in this list. And we, Jay, we actually considered putting the entire 2013 draft class at number one because it's our list and we can do whatever we want, but ultimately decided not to do that. But we did have Luke Jokel here. Um, He was taken second overall behind Eric Fisher. Now, Eric Fisher hasn't necessarily had the greatest career, but he is still in Kansas City. and I believe he has a Super Bowl ring now. So um, 2013, honestly, was was kind of a mess as far as the first round. There were definitely some good players taken, but I don't think it was really when you look back at it now, one of the weaker drafts, probably up until you get to, I would say, number 27, when, of course, DeAndre Hopkins was taken. But some of the other players available were just not it, I guess is the way that I'll put it. Deion Jordan was a name that was floated around. I'm glad we didn't go that route. Ziggy Ansah has been kind of all over the place. Brachivius Mingo, Jonathan Cooper, Tavon Austin, of course, has been a little bit of a journeyman. But we ended up with Luke Jokel, and he was <laughs> gone from the team uh, after uh, just a few years, and he hasn't even taken a snap in the league since 2017. Um, probably one of the biggest busts, really, in, in as far as the Jaguars go as a franchise. But yeah, Luke Jokel, Number one, definitely worst draft pick in the Dave Caldwell era. Oh, yeah, man. I don't think many people would disagree. I mean, but look, when you look at this list and the heavy 2013 representation, you know, the good thing is, you know, that was Dave Caldwell's first draft. A lot of the people on this list were from his first draft. So as much as we've harped on him and whatnot and the other draft picks he's made, you know, like that 2013 class, like you can't really hold that one against him. Uh, although, you know, our list is heavily predicated towards him. It was it was his first album. And he was a very young GM, by the way, in the process. So, you know, that's us giving Dave Caldwell a little slack there. But yeah, I mean, and, and another thing is like when you look at that class in general, like you said, nobody really got big time contributors out of that class. There's not a lot of people that's still around that are starters from that class. So, uh, you know, that being said, you know. For Dave Caldwell's first outing, man, like we can cut him a break on that. But yeah, Luke Joker never panned out. Went to the Seahawks. I do remember that. Uh, afterward, never panned out there as well. Like you said, he hasn't taken the snap since 2017. Uh, he was a guy that I remember doing a breakdown on um, when we were doing the when we were with Inside Edge Sports, our little old blog back in the day. And uh, you know, I remember convincing myself, okay, yeah, this kid's gonna be the guy. But come to find out. Like you said, to put it lightly, he wasn't it. And I mean, a lot of players from that draft wasn't it. But um, yeah, his first overall pick of his GM tenure didn't pan out. I mean, but I guess if we lined up a lot of GMs and looked at, uh, man, I don't know the exact numbers on this, but looked at their first overall picks in their tenures, uh, a lot of them probably didn't work out. So, you know, this is not necessarily that bad of a thing for Dave Caldwell. So wherever you are, 2013 draft class, we hope you're doing well, but unfortunately, you weren't it, I guess, <laughs> like like we just said. But Jay, that's it for our top five worst draft picks in the Dave Caldwell era. Just to recap, we put Blake Bortles at number five, Jonathan Cyprian at number four, Marquise Lee at number three, Denard Robinson number two, and number one, Luke Jokel. Well, you know... The list is not nearly as bad as what we could have compiled with Gene Smith. So there's that. Oof. That honestly, we should, I don't think I could ever do that because I don't know that I would be able to get through it physically, <laughs> emotionally. So we probably won't ever tackle that list. But this was really fun, Jay. A re- really, really uh, in- enjoyable series for us to do. We have a, a couple of other interesting topics that we're going to cover here while we're still 
in quarantine. That's another thing, guys. Just, you know, of course, there's a lot going on. But just remember, we are still in a pandemic. So if you are going to go out there and peacefully protest and and exercise your right to do so, make sure you're safe. If you if you need to wear a mask and continue to uh, just, you know, bring the hand sanitizer if you got it and just be careful because there are that those things are still going on. Of course, there have been a bunch of new confirmed cases of coronavirus after Memorial Day weekend. And who knows what those numbers are going to look like in the next couple of weeks. So again, just be careful. This is still going on, even amongst all the other madness that's going on within the country. We're still in the middle of this this terrible, terrible pandemic, and hopefully we'll be done sooner rather than later. But that being said, Jay, that's it for this episode. Really, really, you know, happy we could we can get together and just have a little bit of a, a distraction while we're out there fighting the good fight. And um, Jay and I have a couple of reasons as far as um, why we are unable to, you know, attend these these protests, and they're they're all health related. So for those of you that are going out there and 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 doing and and speaking for us, you know, as minorities, as Jay said. Thank you so much for risking your lives and doing what's right and, and using your voices. We really, really appreciate that. There are plenty of other ways you can help, though, if you can't go out and protest. And Jay, I think what we'll start doing is sharing some of those on our social media sites. But that being said, what does everybody have to look forward to on The Wire? And then we'll get out of here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you said, to reiterate what we said in the last podcast, we really do appreciate people stepping up to the plate and doing what they can like you said health related reasons not necessarily with me but you know somebody in my household i'm trying to protect as well in terms of health so uh yeah that being said what we have for the coming days i guess you could say i'll continue because i kind of dropped off on it or i kind of just threw it out the window temporarily because i got caught up with some other things but i'll continue to do our depth chart previews for the defensive side i did all of the offensive side so that is out of the way uh, which, like I said, that's kind of interesting because the Jaguars, uh, we haven't seen them on the field yet. They haven't been together as a team. So this is just kind of a series where I'm just trying to do a depth chart prediction uh, based off of not really seeing a lot of these players. As we said, 12 rookies uh, that were drafted, 18 undrafted rookies as well. So, you know, I, I thought that would be an interesting thing to do. I'll continue that as well. Uh, and we'll continue to uh, reach out to guests as well, which we have been promising on the podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been busy despite it being a pandemic, and that's understandable. Uh, but we're going to get some guests on uh, because I know you all get tired of just hearing me and Phil just ramble on all day. But uh, nonetheless, the support has been great for, uh, you know, just two guys just rambling on. And we appreciate the support. And, uh, yeah, I ask you all, like Phil said, to continue to be safe out there. Um, as you know, America is going through some trying times at the moment. That's right. So as always, guys, be careful, be safe, take care of your mentals, take care of your chickens. You know, <laughs> that's what Marshawn Lynch said. Remember, those are wise, wise words from a very wise man. And uh, I think just as important as ever. But this has been the Believe in the Jaguars podcast. Again, if you are enjoying the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn, Believe.com, and at Believe Podcast. You can find our Twitter handles at PhilTheFilipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at SportsGrind underscore Don. The Twitter account for the podcast is Believe in Jags Pod. Send us your questions. We're going to answer more of those very, very soon, as well as any topics you guys would like to see us cover in future episodes. So I'm Phil Smith. That is James Johnson. We're right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, guys.